0: Well, before we get into uh, today's message on election, I do want to just welcome a couple of faces and, and families here. Uh, first of all, Isa E., I think we all know Isa E. now, his family is here from Mexico. Welcome. <laughs> uh, we've been praying for you and so glad that you have made it to Canada to be uh, with Isa E. and to be with us and to worship with us. So welcome to South Shore, and uh, Natalie is back from the Mercy Ships. <laughs> so glad to have you back after, how, how long were you gone, two months? Two months of service overseas on the Mercy Ships, and we'd love to hear more about that. So please find Natalie after. Glad that you're back with us safe and sound. We've been looking after your husband while you've been gone, making sure that he stays uh, regular attendance and so on and so forth. Gl- All right. let's take a look at uh, today's message. Now we are in the middle of the book of Romans and we're in a hard stretch, aren't we? I've interacted with many of you about this over the last couple of weeks. I really, really value when you uh, get in touch with me either in person, by phone, by text, by email. Um, We know that this is going to be hard. We know that this is going to be a struggle. Trying to understand the doctrine of election is not easy. Uh, and, and it's not a, even a single doctrine, it has many parts to it. So it's more, more, of a, more likely to say plural, it's the doctrines of election, they're not easy. And in fact, for much of the history of the church, we've got these doctrines wrong. And so we need to be very careful that we stay close to the scriptures, that we just go at the same pace that Paul is going and not try to crowd what we're learning uh, with our own ideas, our own thoughts, or even to get ahead of Paul but to allow him, as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit through the Scriptures, to unpack and reveal this doctrine one step at a time. It also is crucial, I know there's some families that have just joined us in the last couple of weeks or months, and we're so glad to have you with us, but it is crucial that we all know that the doctrines of election in the book of Romans don't come first. We have... Uh, the book of Romans can be divided into chapters 1 through 8, which are the doctrines of salvation. Those are the, the doctrines that come first to understand what God has done for us in Christ already. Right? His, his wrath was being revealed from heaven and is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness because we've worshipped the creation rather than cr- the creator. Uh, for those of us who have known God's will and God's law, we've broken it. So, God must judge. But then, chapters four and five, we learn about justification that there's a great trade that Jesus came when perfect righteousness, we give him our unrighteousness, and he gives us his righteousness. That's justification, so that we can be declared righteous before the throne of God. And then, chapters six and seven, you have the doctrines of sanctification. That God has also transformed us from the inside out. That he's given us a new heart. That we die with Christ on the cross. We are crucified with Christ and then we are born again. And, And he makes us obedient from the heart. So that we now desire righteousness and we begin to live out righteousness. Even though we're wrapped in flesh and we still struggle with the desire to sin. And then the great chapter 8, which talks about glory, when all of these things come to their fruition, that we're going to be raised from the dead and to be made like Christ, that this universe is going to be transformed into a glorious cosmos where God himself will dwell with his people inside this universe, though it will be made new. And it's after all of that that we get to the doctrines of election. Before we get to chapters 12 through 16 where Paul says, in light of all these things that you believe, live this way. He says, first we have to deal with the doctrines of election. That is, how is it that we can become partakers in the gospel? And is this for Israel only or also for Gentiles? And what's the relationship between Israel and the church? Crucial chapters that the church for so many years has gotten wrong. So that's what we're looking at now, and it's not easy. Let's take a look at today's text. And then we'll recap where we've been so far in chapter 9 and get to, the, get to expo- uh, expositing this text itself. Would you open your Bibles to Romans chapter 9? And as you're looking for your place, please stand. I am going to read Romans 9, 19 through 10.4. But then we're going to it verses 25 to 10.4. But we need the context of 19 through 24. This is the word of God. You will say to me then, why does God still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God. Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? In order to make known the riches of his glory for the vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. Even us, whom he's called, and not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed, he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved And in the very place where it was said of them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted... If the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But as if it were based on works. Oh they've stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written. Behold I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling. In a rock of offense. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers. Brothers. Oh, God, help us to understand this text. Help us to, first of all, understand the doctrines of election and then help us to embrace them. And Lord, even while our heart breaks for the lost men and women of Israel who have rejected Christ, even though our heart breaks for our lost loved ones, Gentiles, we know that your plan of salvation is good, perfect. And so God, help us. And help me. Help me to be clear. Help me to preach and to teach with such clarity. And where I lack, I pray, Holy Spirit, make up for all that I am unable to do by my words alone. Reveal yourself, God, in and through this text, your scriptures, your holy word. I Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. One of the great challenges in this part of the, uh, the text is you have to do so much review because you cannot understand any part without the whole. And this, this is the book of Romans all over the place, right? We spend most of our time in review. But let me review just chapter 9 because it's so crucial for us in order to get this new material. The first thing that we learned was that God elects groups and God elects individuals. And they're not the same thing. So, so God's purpose of election is He chose Israel... From among all the nations, that's a group. He chose Israel to group and he entered into covenant with Israel as a group. There's a corporate covenant cut with Israel. And if you're an Israelite, you, you get to share in the blessings of that covenant and also you bring upon yourself the curses of that covenant also. By being in the group, though, you're not necessarily individually elected to attain eternal righteousness and glory. The two are not the same. So we learn that from within this one group, Israel, God elected to save only a remnant, only certain individuals from among the Jews. So although Israel is God's elect nation, only some Israelites are individually elected unto salvation. That's the first thing. The second thing that we learned was that God is just with all and unfair, un, and positively unfair with some. Let me say that again. God is just with all and positively unfair with some. When we think of unfair, we think of it in negative terms, but the unfairness that God expresses toward the human race is positive. That is, let's start with justice. God is just with all. The definition of justice we determined last week was uh, justice is entails merited rewards and punishments that is based on your behavior based on your works you will either be rewarded by god or you will be punished by god that's justice and so god is just with all And we know that no one will be saved by keeping the law because we've all broken the law. Therefore, the default destination for the human race is not blessing and rewards. The default destination based on God's justice is condemnation and punishment. So God is a God of justice. When we're about to talk about God's unfairness, He never is unfair to the expense of His justice. There are no innocent people who will be punished and condemned there are no innocent people that will be found guilty on the great and terrible day of the Lord God is just he would never do anything that is not just but God is unfair we define fairness this way fairness is that God treats everyone the same but God has not elected to treat every one of us the same Because he has said, I will take the sin of some and in the person of my son, the Lord Jesus Christ, I will carry that sin to the cross and I will punish the sin of some people on the cross. So justice falls against all sin, my sin and yours. Our sin has to be punished like anyone else. The great question of fairness though is this, where is your sin punished? Justice says your sin must be punished. The principle of fairness, though, says there's an opportunity for you to be unfairly rewarded if you allow the justice that you deserve, that is condemnation and wrath, to fall on Jesus Christ in your place. So every human being has the option, either take the justice of God upon yourself and stand before the throne of God and plead your case and you'll be found guilty and you'll be condemned, and you'll be cast into the lake of fire which is hell forever and ever. That's your choice. The second option is to say I want Jesus to take my sin. And the wrath that I deserve will fall on him. And when I get to the throne of God the wrath will f- pass over me because the blood of the lamb is on me. What We talked about at the Lord's table. Now I've said that this is your choice because it is. That's one, something I haven't emphasized so much in the doctrines of election. Everyone gets to choose. Here's a great problem, though, with the human condition is we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. And for whatever perverted reason, and the reason is sin, and our slavery to sin, and our blindness to righteousness, no one of their own accord chooses for Jesus to carry their sin. But you get to to choose, it's just you won't choose that unless God gives you the gift of faith. God gives you the gift of faith by electing you unto faith and you spend the faith that God gives you to choose option number two and you say, Jesus, take my sin, take it. And then the justice of God falls against your sin on Jesus on the cross and you are unfairly rewarded with eternal life and righteousness. We're still in review. The third thing that we learned was this we're in no position to answer back to God. People would say, well, if I would never choose God because I'm enslaved to sin, that's not my fault. And so we say, who can resist God's will? Why doesn't God soften everyone's heart? Why doesn't God give everyone the gift of faith? Why doesn't God open up everybody's eyes to the truth? Why doesn't God elect everyone? If we cannot and we will not choose him of our own volition, and yet he gives some the gift of faith so that they can choose him, why doesn't God do that for everyone? And the third thing we learned was that we are in no position to answer back to God. The potter chooses a lump of clay and the potter chooses to do what he will with that clay and he makes some vessels, that is some cups and plates and silverware for honorable use and he makes some for dishonorable use and if he, if he made a set of, of dishes out of that clay and decided to smash it, he has every right to do so. And so we ask at this point, who are we talking about here? This is where the doctrines of election get fuzzy. In chapter 9, verses 1 through 23, I've, I think I've said every week, there in those verses, Paul is talking about Israel and Israelites. All of, the, all of what we've gone through is Paul is applying that to Israel and to Jews. Jews. So the lump is the nation of Israel. Doesn't the potter have the right to choose whatever lump he wants? Yes, he does. He chose the nation of Israel. And does not the same potter who chose the lump, which is Israel, have the right to make some vessels for honorable use, that is, individually elect Jews who will attain righteousness by grace through faith, and to make dishonorable vessels that will be destroyed, condemned in the judgment? He, even there he's talking about Jews so verses 1-23, through 23, and this really helps as we get further on into these chapters to keep it all straight. He's talking about Israel and Israelites. But then in verse 24, he adds the Gentiles in. In verse 24, he says this same principle, so think about Israel and, and Israelites. One lump. Some vessels for salvation and some for destruction. In verse 24, this is where we ended last week. Paul says the same principle is true for all of humanity. And he, God, can choose to elect some individual Gentiles and give them the blessings of covenant faithfulness that he had directed toward Israel. That's what we're going to look at today. We just introduced it last week. This week, we're going to look at it a little bit more. So today's text, the part that I'm going to exposit for you is Romans 9.25 through Romans 10.4. And and this passage can be divided into three parts. So the first part is Romans 9.25 to 29. And in these verses, God individually elects a remnant of Jews and some Gentiles. I want you to notice how I worded that. A remnant of Jews and some Gentiles. Why do I say that? The remnant language has to do with the original lump, which is Israel. Only a remnant of the group will be saved unto eternal life. But we can't talk of a remnant of Gentiles because God hasn't chosen any other nation the way he chose Israel. And so he has elected, in addition to choosing a remnant of Jews, he has elected to choose individual Gentiles from among all of these other non-elect nations, of which Canada is an example, and to give them the blessings that the remnant of Israel receives. So God has chosen to individually elect a remnant of Jews and some Gentiles. But he's not choosing Canada, he's not choosing the United States of America, he's not choosing Syria, he's not choosing Russia, he's not choosing Peru or Mexico, he's not choosing any other nation to start into a new covenant with, his covenant is with Israel, and he's going to deal with the human race through them and that covenant, okay? Okay? Now, moving on, verse 30 is the second section of these verses. And in this verse, we find out that some Gentiles have attained righteousness by faith. The last section of today's text is Romans 9 31 through 10 4. And in this section, we learn that all but a remnant of Jews have tried to attain righteousness by works. And Therefore, they are vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, not individually elect. Notice what Paul is doing, though, the way he's treating the doctrines of election. He's not just mixing Jews and Gentiles together and convoluting the issue. He started with 23 verses talking about Israel. In verse 24, he says, we're going to add some Gentiles individually into this reality. And then he deals with Gentiles individually. Then he goes back and he deals with Jews individually. Have to keep this separate. Where we're going is the church has not replaced Israel. And if we, this is why these chapters get really difficult to understand. If you just say, well, you know, God God is done with Israel because they rejected Jesus. And now he's doing a new thing with the church. Good luck understanding these chapters. You won't. It'll all mix together. So keep pace with Paul, how he's treating this issue, and you'll see that everything will make sense by the time we get done this uh, by December. It will take that long. So let's go through these three points one at a time. Point number one, God individually elects a remnant of Jews and some Gentiles. Paul here cites four Old Testament Scriptures to make his point. The first two Old Testament scriptures or allusions are from the book of Hosea and he appeals to Hosea to to address Gentiles. The second pair of Old Testament scriptures that he goes to are in the book of Isaiah and he goes to the book of Isaiah to address the Jews. So again, see how he's keeping Gentiles and Jews separate here. He's trying to address both groups independently and he's trying to help us to understand the doctrine of election uh, how they relate, how we relate to one another but also how God's plan has always intended for a both and not an either or. It's not Israel or the church it's Israel and Gentiles notice I didn't use the word church Because to do so, to say Israel and the church would be already replacement theology. The church does not replace Israel. Let's take a look at these first two Old Testament scriptures in Hosea which address the situation for us Gentiles. So now our ears should be perked up, right? We've told that God chooses a lump. He's gonna make some vessels for honorable use and others for destruction, for dishonorable use. That is, some individual Israelites are going to be saved unto eternal glory and righteousness. Others are going to be destroyed in the final judgment. And then in verse 24, he says, and you know what? This is a true reality for some Gentiles as well. Now he's dealing with that. He has chosen some individual Jews for salvation and he's chosen some individual Gentiles for this same salvation. Now he goes to the book of Hosea to help us to understand how it is that he has selected individual gentiles to share in the covenant blessings given to Israel. Okay? We're all on the same in the same boat going the same direction. Let's take a look here. So if you look down at uh, Isaiah, uh, uh, sorry, Romans 9 verse 25 and 26. As indeed he says in Hosea. Now before I read that I want you to know what the as indeed connects to. Go back to verse 24. Even us whom he has called, not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Now, he, he has just introduced Gentiles for the first time in verse 24. And so his first order of business is to explain how it is that he can include Gentiles in this. That's what the as indeed means. As indeed. I'm not just making it up to bring the Gentiles in. I'm following Scripture on this, says Paul. As indeed, he says in Hosea. And now, he's going to quote Hosea 9.25. And he's going to... No, sorry. Hosea 2.23. And he's going to quote Hosea 1.10. So, Romans 9.25 is a citation of Hosea 2.23... In Romans 9.26 is a citation of Hosea 1.10. Now, if you're to study this, you have to go back and read the whole book of Hosea. You have to understand not just these individual verses, but you have to understand what's going on in the book of Hosea that that Paul thinks he should import here. And for understanding what I'm about to tell you, you really need to read Hosea chapters 1, 2, and 3. We're not going to do that this morning. I did that work for you in my study. But if you want to go back and affirm the things that I'm saying, go back and read Hosea 1, 2, and 3. And then read the whole book right up to the end of chapter 14 to make sure. But what I'm going to give you is the the fruit of that study. In the book, well, let's just read these first. As indeed he says in Hosea, those who were not my people, I will call my people. And her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. Beloved. And in the very place where it was said of them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. Now, if you don't do the work, it seems to flow fairly nice. Gentiles were not God's people, right? And what Paul is trying to argue is that they are going to become, or some of them will become God's people. But if you go back to Hosea, there's a little bit of a hiccup in this because in Hosea, God is not talking about Gentiles at all. So that's what I have to explain to you here. If you go back and read Hosea chapters 1 through 3, you're going to find out that there was a man living in the northern kingdom by the name of Hosea. And he was instructed to God to go and to marry an adulterous woman. Now we don't know if she was a prostitute or if she had a history of adultery uh, when Hosea married her. But she was already identified by God as an adulterous woman. So Hosea goes and he marries this uh, adulterous woman. Her name was Gomer. And they have three children. A son named Jezreel. A daughter named Not Beloved. And a son named Not My People. So we want to really focus in on the daughter named Not Beloved and the son named Not My People. Those are kind of strange names, right? Strange names. There's probably not going to make the the top 10 names in North America list. Not beloved. This is my daughter, not beloved. Which means I don't love her. I don't love her. This is my daughter. I don't love her. And this is my son. He's not my people. (laughs) He's not my people. So those are the names of Hosea and Gomer's second and third children. Gomer then goes and commits adultery. She may have even enslaved herself to a prostitution ring, some sort of formal brothel. And so Hosea is left with these children. And God instructs Gomer to go in, or Homer, uh, Hosea to go and find Gomer and to buy her back. That's why I say it may be that she wasn't just unfaithful, she was actually uh, vocationally involved in some kind of adulterous living. And God says, I want you to take, go and buy back your adulterous wife. And it's in that context that God says, and then you are going to call not beloved, beloved. And you're going to call not my people, my people. So that's the context of those two verses. In Hosea 2.23, God says, when you do this, your, your daughter, I don't love her, you you will now call her, I love her. And your son, not my people, now you're going to call her my people. So what's going on in the book of Hosea is that God is asking Hosea to live out God's experience with the nation of Israel he's saying how do I communicate to my people the heartache that I'm going through how do I communicate to them what they're doing to me and so he says Hosea you're going to be me and Gomer is going to be the kingdom of Israel and you're going to do this uh, uh, drama a a little mini historical parable and your life is going to communicate to the nation of Israel what you are putting me your divine husband through and so, God is the one who sets his wife, Israel, and allows her to chase after other gods. And they have children together, and God says, you're not my beloved, and God says of, of these Israelites, you're, you're not my people, because you're idolatrous. You're engaged intimately with other gods. And so what God does is he brings in the Assyrians and he allows Assyria to destroy Israel. And in 722 BC that's exactly what happens. And that destruction of Israel by the Assyrians is foreshadowed by the separation between Hosea and Gomer. And so Israel is destroyed by by Assyria. That's That's just like Gomer being caught up in this prostitution ring. It's tragic. And all you have are children, Israelites, not my people, not my beloved. But God says in the prophecy of Hosea, but that's not the end. I'm going to buy back my bride. I'm I'm going to win her back. I'm going to woo her back. I'm going to purchase her back. I'm going to redeem her. And we know ultimately he redeems her through the blood of Christ. And then, of the Israelites that I said, not my people, I'm going to say my people. And of uh, the Israelites that I said, not my beloved, I'm going to call them beloved. Now, Paul then applies this parable to Gentiles. He says, yeah, Homer and Gomer lived out a, a parable for Israel and God, but inspired by the Holy Spirit, Paul says the very same parable applies to Gentiles. And he says, just as God elected to show mercy and grace to undeserving Israelites, so also God elects to show mercy and grace to undeserving Gentiles. Now, you might say, well, Paul, that's a bit of a stretch. Where in the Bible can you come up with a defense to do such a thing well actually the very last verse in the book of Hosea opens the door for Paul to do this very thing in Hosea fourteen nine, this is what the prophet writes whoever is wise let him understand these things Whoever is discerning, let him know them, for the ways of the Lord are right and the upright walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. We're going to talk about stumbling a little bit later. The whole point here, at the end of the book of Hosea, we're told that this little drama between God and Israel that is, that is played out by uh, Hosea and Gomer is not just for Israel. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. There's a broader application. And I, I think, for example, of the, be, uh, the beginning of the book of Revelation. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. What does that mean? See, this is a, an idiom that they would have understood that anyone who is wise, anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear and understand that the meaning, the application goes far beyond the immediate context. It's, there's a principle here where we learn about the heart of God. This is how God is going to deal in Hosea's case, not just with Israel, but with Gentiles also. We see that at the end of the book of Hosea. In the beginning of Revelation, uh, we have seven letters written to seven historical churches. Those letters were for historical moments in time. But anyone who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We can ablo- apply those letters that Christ wrote through the apostle John to the letters or to the churches of Revelation we can apply that more broadly to the church at large so it is here and so Paul inspired by the Holy Spirit does the right thing and he says what the book of Hosea teaches us is something about the heart of God the book of Hosea teaches us the salvific ways of God and this is the salvific ways of God though you may be idolatrous just as a woman would be adulterous and you have children that I'm going to say are not beloved and not my people, God reserves the right to buy you back. He did it for Israel. And Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says he's going to do that for some Gentiles too. And so we were, we were just children of idolatrous, pagan nations. We weren't God's people. We weren't his beloved but just as he elected to show mercy, grace, and covenant faithfulness to some Jews, so also God has elected to show that same mercy, grace, and covenant faithfulness to some Gentiles. Even though our nations were never in covenant with God. Oh, the grace of God that he would think of us and enfold us in such a greater a plan of salvation now we move on to the Jews so Paul has addressed so God is going to choose individual Gentiles for election now he still needs to prove the point that not every Israelite not every Jew is individually elected unto salvation and eternal glory even though they are a part of the elect group You see, we're not a part of the elect group, but some Gentiles are going to share in the blessings of that elect group. But there are some in the elect group who are not individually elect to share in the blessings given to that group. And he has to prove that still. So he goes back to the book of Isaiah. And in Romans 9, 27 to 28, Paul cites Isaiah 10, verses 22 to 23. Let's take a look at those verses in Romans 9. And Isaiah cries out, concerning Israel. Pause there. Remember what I did up in verse 25? As indeed, we we showed that that had to do with including Gentiles. Now, Paul very clearly says, I want to talk a little bit more about Israel. And Isaiah cries out, concerning Israel. So this is not about Gentiles. And the point I want to make again is, Paul's not mixing the two. He's talking about Gentiles, and now he's going to talk about Israel. As Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. This comes right out of Isaiah chapter 10. These are verses 22 and 23. Again, you need to go back and really understand what's going on in the book of Isaiah from chapter 7 to 12. I did that work for you this week. But if you want to check this out, go back and read Isaiah 7 to 12. What's going on here in Isaiah 10, verses 22 and 23, is that God has sent the Assyrians in to devastate the northern kingdom of Of Israel, but there's still a southern kingdom called Judah. And the capital of that kingdom is Jerusalem. And God has called the Assyrians in not just to destroy the northern kingdom, but Assyria destroyed most of the southern kingdom as well. And the only city left in Judah in that original invasion by the Assyrians was the city of Jerusalem. And Assyria was boasting that they had done this great thing to take all of Israel and most of Judah. And they were boasting that they were going to take Jerusalem as well. But in chapter 10, right before we get to these verses, God says, oh Assyria, you proud and arrogant nation, do you not know that I am just using you like an axe to cut down the forest of my people? But I will turn the axe against you. And I will chop down Assyria, and in chopping down Assyria, save and restore a remnant among Israel, which is Jerusalem. So all that to say, when we get here in verses 27-28, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, when Israel came out of slavery in Egypt, there were 2 million people strong. By the time you get to Solomon's reign, uh, they were so numerous that they couldn't even be counted. I'm, I'm sure they could, but we're told in the Bible that they were as numerous as the sand in the sea. Now you get to 722 B.C., the northern kingdom is destroyed. Most of the southern kingdom is destroyed. And all you have left are a few thousand Jews huddled together in Jerusalem so Paul's saying that's always been the way God deals with his people. Yeah, Israel's God's covenant people, but when they go after other gods, when they forget to worship God, when they, when they don't care about the covenant, when they break covenant over and over again and I send prophets to them and I warn them and I tell them to come back in faithfulness and they don't, well, I'm going to whittle this group down to a remnant and only a remnant will be saved. We saw it, says Paul, in the history of Israel. In 722 BC, we saw it. Only Jerusalem was left. So Paul's application here to the Jews is, even though Israel is God's elect nation, only a remnant will be individually elected unto righteousness and eternal salvation. And you shouldn't be surprised at that, says Paul to Israel. That's always been the case. And then he makes the exact same point in verse 29. Take a look at it there. And Isaiah cries out, Oh, sorry. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Here, Paul is citing Isaiah 1-9, the introduction to the book of Isaiah. And we don't have to do much work here because it's exactly the same historical context. Assyria has wiped out all of the northern kingdom and all of the southern kingdom except for Jerusalem. And in Isaiah chapter 1, we're told that Jerusalem alone is left and everything else around it is wasted by the Assyrians so that the city of Jerusalem looks like a, a booth or a tent in a cucumber field. Can you just picture that? Cucumber, cucumbers don't get very high, right? Scatter along the ground and then you have a hut in the middle of the cucumber field. That's all that's left of God's chosen people. And in Isaiah 1, Isaiah is bringing, or on God's behalf, is, Isaiah is bringing a, uh, he's taking God's people to court. And he levels the, the verdict against God's people. And he says, you know, if God was going to be totally just with us, what God did to Sodom and Gomorrah, he would do with us. But God's not being just with us. He's left us Jerusalem. a remnant because God's made unconditional promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to David. So that's, Paul is reminding Israel of what they should already know. That it's always only ever a remnant of Israel that is saved. It's important to note here, Have you seen anything in the text that would indicate that Gentiles are replacing Israel? I haven't seen it. Show me the verse that says God's done with Israel so he's going to do something new with the church. It's not what he's saying. He's saying a remnant of Israel will be saved and some Gentiles will be grafted into that to use future language. Going on to Point number two. So that's all point number one. What, what have we learned in point number one? I better summarize this. This is the longest of the points. Point number one is that there is Old Testament scripture to support what Paul has said thus far. What has Paul said thus far? God chose the nation of Israel, and he set his heart upon the nation of Israel, but he's only chosen some Israelites for that nation That shouldn't surprise you, Israel, because that's always how God has dealt with you. Go back and read your scriptures. Read the book of Isaiah. Over and over again, God says, though you're as numerous as the sand on the seashore, only a remnant will be saved. So don't be surprised that not all of Israel is coming to faith in Jesus Christ. It's always been the, the case. And he's saying to the Gentiles, now this is new. We can apply the book of Hosea to you. That's new. Now, there's other places in the Old Testament that talk about blessings to the nations, but Paul says there's some Gentiles that are gonna enjoy God's blessings to Israel. That's that's what he's proven in in the text so far this morning. Now, moving on to point number two. Point number two is just gonna flesh this out. Point number two focuses in on Gentiles, and then point number three is gonna focus in on Jews. You see how there's this back and forth. Point number two says some Gentiles have attained righteousness by faith. So how is it that some Gentiles who are not part of elect nations are individually elected to enjoy the blessings that God promised to the elect nation? Right? That seems... How how do you do that? What's the mechanism to get me, a Gentile, into the commonwealth of Israel among the remnant? How do do I do that? Well, Paul's going to tell you in verse 30. What shall we say then? I love that, right? This is when we're supposed to be like, uh, I don't know what to say. Paul expects that we're speechless. We're thinking, we're mulling. We're not quite sure. It's going to help us out. What should we say then? First thing that we should say is this, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith. Paul says three things here. And these three things apply to some Gentiles, the elect Gentiles, the individually elect Gentiles. Number one, he says Gentiles were not pursuing righteousness. What does that mean? It means that Paul is, going to, is referring to a group of Gentiles who are not trying to convert to Judaism. We're, There are some Gentiles who have not tried to please the God of Israel by keeping the Mosaic law. There's a group of Gentiles who were not pursuing to keep the law. They were not trying to be found righteous by Israel's God by keeping Israel's laws. That's the first thing that he says. You see it there? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness. That's the first thing. But the second thing that he says is that these same Gentiles, some of them have attained righteousness. So the law of God defines righteousness and wickedness. And he's saying there's some Gentiles who did not try to attain righteousness by keeping the law who have become fully righteous before God, the God of Israel wow that's amazing how well the third thing that paul says here by faith these gentiles attained righteousness by faith in other words romans 4 through 8 right so he says these how do you know if you're an elect gentile You've put your faith in the Jewish Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ, who died in your place, carried your sins, you were nailed to him on the cross, you died and you came back to life. You believe that though you're a Gentile, not in covenant relationship with God, you will be joined to the commonwealth of Israel, the remnant of Israel that will be saved. That's awesome. Now he transitions. Point number three focuses back on the Jews and he says all but a remnant of Jews have tried to attain righteousness by works and the implication is that those who try to attain righteousness by keeping the law they have not attained righteousness. We see this in verses 31 through 10.4 and so we go back up to 30. Though, What shall we say then? verse 30 goes on that gentiles then go down to verse 31 that israel so you see they're parallel there that israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law so in verse 31 what paul is saying is this there are some israelites who wanted to be righteous before god and the the means that they chose to try to attain that righteousness which would lead to resurrection and eternal glory, was they tried to keep the law. He says most of Israel tried to attain righteousness that way, if they were trying to attain righteousness at all. But many, those who tried to attain righteousness this way did not attain righteousness this way. Why? Because these Israelites were trying to attain righteousness by works. And what have we learned in the book of Romans? Is that possible? It's not possible. It is not possible for a Jew or a Gentile to live a good enough life to attain resurrection from the dead unto eternal glory. And so Paul says it is such a tragedy that there are some Jews who wanted to be righteous before God and they tried to be righteous before God by keeping the law. They failed to keep the law. Therefore, they failed to at- attain the righteousness that they pursued. Therefore, at the final judgment, they will be judged guilty. In verse 32, Paul goes on. or for, He says, Why? because they did not pursue righteousness by faith. Oh, if only they had been like Abraham and David from Romans 4. Abraham and David, though they may have initially tried to attain righteousness by works, came to the end of themselves and said, I've failed. I've failed to attain righteousness by works. And then David cries out and he says, God have mercy. And where their works failed they threw themselves on the mercy and grace of God and what Paul is saying here is that's always been the only way that any Jew has been saved unto eternal glory because all the law has done though the law is good all the law has done is prove how impossible it is for even a Jew to attain perfect righteousness before God by keeping the law there's only one Jew that has ever done that the Messiah, Jesus. And so he says, it's so tragic. They wanted the right thing, but they tried to achieve it the wrong way. They didn't have faith. They did not pursue righteousness by faith. Rather, we're still in verse 32, they tried to attain it as if it were based on works, and they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, and this is in Isaiah 28, 16, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. In other words, you get get into Isaiah uh, 28, and for, for your sake, I won't give you too many details, but the whole point is this. Even in Isaiah, God is calling to his people not to attain their righteousness by works, but by faith. He says to King Ahaz and King Hezekiah, just believe me. I will be your protector. And they said, no, we're going to protect ourselves. We're going to attain righteousness for ourselves. We'll show you how good we are on our own. And that's the stumbling stone that has always been in Israel's way. Because God gave them the law to prove to them that they couldn't keep it, that they had to attain righteousness by faith. But some Jews didn't see the purpose of the law, and they tried to attain righteousness by keeping the law, and in so doing, they stumbled over the law. They tripped. The law that God gave them as a gift to prove their need for faith, they tripped on it instead of being helped by it. But anyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. Then we're into chapter 10. Oh, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, who's the them here? Israel, is that they may be saved. For I bear them, Israel, witness that they do have a zeal for God. But it's not according to knowledge. They don't understand their own scriptures. They don't understand the function of the law. They've misunderstood their history. They don't see the fullness of of the law and the prophets in the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't have knowledge, though they have zeal. They want what is right. They have the right desire, but they don't know how to achieve it. Verse 3 for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own they did not submit to God's righteousness it's just the same point that we've been saying they didn't know that to get to attain the righteousness of God all that God is asking of them is to cry out in repentant faith they didn't know that they couldn't see that for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That is when you put your faith in Christ, you no longer try to attain righteousness by keeping the law. You know that you have received the righteousness righteousness of God by grace through faith, and therefore you seek to keep the law not to be righteous but to worship. And when you fail to keep the law perfectly, you repent. But it's not the source of your righteousness. It's the source of your worship. How might we summarize all of this? Well, God has elected one nation in the history of the world. Only one. That nation is the nation of Israel. He has chosen Israel from among all the nations. But God has not chosen every Israelite to share in the covenant blessings promised unconditionally to this nation. There are some Israelites that are vessels of mercy who will receive the covenant blessing promised to this nation. But there are other Israelites who have stumbled over the stumbling stone. They haven't realized that what would really please God is faith, not works. And so Paul says, those who have tried to attain their, their covenant blessings through works, they are not elect. God has rejected them. That's the first thing that we learn. The second thing that we learn is that God, and this is, this is the mystery of Christ in Ephesians chapter 2 and 3, This is an amazing thing if you're a Gentile. You don't need to have a belief system that says that the church replaces Israel because this, in fact, is greater. This is more amazing that God would have preordained this, that he would have predestined this, that that God has elected some Gentiles, though we are not a part of an elect nation. There's no covenant blessings coming to us because of our our ethnic partnership in Canada or, or whatever the mother country was. But in spite of the fact that we were not born into nations that were promised unconditional blessings from God, that God has elected some Gentiles, not all, but some from every tribe and nation, language and people, to receive the unconditional and eternal covenant faithfulness of God intended for Israel. In other words, we get citizenship in the commonwealth of israel and we partake of god's eternal covenant blessings along with the elect remnant of israel so while there are some israelites who miss out on this though we are not a part of the elect group we have become a part of the elect remnant which is amazing god's grace and faithfulness to us so jew or gentile All who have been saved have been individually elected by God. And the gift of faith is given by God to each individual Jew or Gentile, not to stumble over the stumbling stone, but to put their faith in the Messiah of Israel, Jesus. We are then saved by faith and not works. Therefore, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, salvation is by grace through faith, not works. That's, isn't that the doctrines of salvation that we've learned about already in Romans 1-8? through 8? And that's why uh, the doctrines of election comes after that. The doctrine of election is predicated on the doctrines of salvation themselves. And this gospel formulation is hated by the world, the Gentile world, How dare you say I'm not good enough for God? And it's stumbled over by Jews who want what God has graciously given to us, but they don't understand. Even though they have the right desire, they have a right zeal, they don't have the right knowledge that God has given to us in the church. You can never be right with God by keeping the law. Therefore, it's up to us to model it for them so that they would be jealous of what we have and be saved. But they will never be jealous of what we have if we don't love Israel. They will never want what we have if we have any trace of replacement theology or anti-Semitism. See, our goal as, as Gentile believers is to remind Israel of what God had given to them and that we've become partakers in it with them. And now that we are partakers in this with them, we want to call to them to come back and to have what is rightly theirs. Because they are stumbling over the stumbling stone. But you look around and you see prophecy being fulfilled before our very eyes in the nation of Israel today. Things that God had promised through old covenant prophets is beginning to come to pass in our day. So let the church... Although for 2,000 years we we have brutally slaughtered the Jews, let us repent of our history and say, oh, Israel, come home to your covenant blessings. I want to end then by going back to Romans 10, verse 1. Because what I've just said is just my paraphrase of what Paul, inspired by God, is saying at the beginning of Romans chapter 10. Brothers, he's talking to elect Jews and Gentiles here, I believe. Brothers, Christians, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, that is Israel, is that they may be saved. Is that our heart's desire? Is that the heart's desire of the church? That Israel be saved? Because if we are Bible-believing Christians, and we are, God has given us a divinely inspired ethic, a divinely inspired desire to make our own. This is not a historical footnote about how Paul was feeling. This is instructive for the church, for how we are to behave and feel toward our cousins. I call them cousins and not brothers and sisters because they're, they're not in Christ but to desire and to pray to God for them that they might be saved. Because we could see, you go to the Western Wall, I was there last year, oh man, they have a zeal for God. And not every Jew does, but a good many of them do. They have a zeal for God, but they're trying to attain the return of them or the coming of the Messiah through works. If we could just do this, if we could just do that, then we'll be ready to receive the Messiah. Well, the Messiah has already come and he's staying away by, uh, according to his grace toward the elect that have not yet called out in faith. It is to be our heart's desire and our prayer to God that Israel may be saved. We have not replaced Israel We are enjoying the covenant faithfulness of God that was originally given to Israel. We are enjoying the grace of God. It is given first to the remnant of Israel and then to the Jew, or then to the Gentile, sorry. Therefore, let us pray for the salvation of Israel that they would have faith in Jesus Christ, their Messiah, as well as ours. Let's pray. Oh, God, this is complex. we want to begin by thanking you that though we are not individuals from any nation that is in covenant with you uh, the only thing that the Bible promises to do to our nations is to destroy them in wrath and judgment we know that the end of every rival kingdom will fall including the one we're in now in spite of that you have individually elected some some Gentiles from all the nations to receive citizenship among the remnant of Israel in the common wealth of Israel for eternal blessing. And so we remind ourselves that you have very graciously adopted us into Abraham's family. Uh, You've given to us the promise that you have given unconditionally to Israel even while some Jews have missed out on it. And now we pray for Israel and we pray for Jews all around the world. God, would you please bring countless numbers of them into the church so that they may enjoy what is rightly theirs, eternal covenant blessing. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, Israel's Messiah and our Christ. Amen.